Podcasting with Carrie Jones. Hi guys, and welcome to the Christmas Podcast Part 2. I've included excerpts from this year. So sit back and relax, grab a beer or something stronger, and maybe a mince pie, and listen to my summary from 2022. Enjoy. Episode 83, Jerry Murphy of Loch Con. There was an old guy next door, Jimmy Brown, the bay there is called after him, the Browns Bay, but uh, he was giddy for, for uh, Healy's Hotel. Yeah. And uh, he had only one boat, like, and the hotel had one boat. But then the, an odd man would ask him, have you another boat? No. And then, do you stop here? Uh, because we're right beside the lake. They stop here for, um, do you know where we get a boat? Do you know where we get a boat? And my father just said, "One, you know, I'm, I'm going to find out where we get a boat. So he bought a brand new wooden clinker boat yeah. made in Bannerope by Burke Builders. Burke nice. does still exist. And the boat was delivered here, brand new, in around uh, early 70s, uh, late, late 60s, 68, 69, 70. It was delivered here for £90. Pounds. Oh. No, sorry, £91. Pounds. £90 <laughs> pound for the boat and a pound to deliver from Banner Robe. I remember I was only probably 12, 14, but uh, I'm the eldest in the family. Yeah. But uh, there was a boat on a trailer and this guy arrived first and uh, he had no tow bear or probably a hired out car or something, but um, I was determined to get it to the lake because I was going to get a couple of quid for it, yeah. two pounds or something. So I had a bicycle. <laughs> And the boat, the trailer, my father, met, my father and Tom Healy made the trailer, but they had it in a way that it was balanced. So it was easily, you could manoeuvre. So it was a bit far over the road to walk with it. Uh, there was no jockey wheel. So I tied it to the saddle of the bike and I walked over the road and my two brothers pushed it. But that wow. time you could do it because there wasn't much traffic. That was yeah. in, that was in, in uh, the 70s, in the mid 70s. Um, and I brought her over the lake and, and put it out and I remember getting two pounds or 50 pence or something like that for doing it. Is. I wouldn't bore, yeah. Though a lot heavier, but the, the way the trailer was made, uh, uh, it was balanced on it, you know. Yeah. Um, and the trailer was made out of an old mini minor uh, subframe of the mini minor. Uh, you take the, the, the body off it and, and use the subframe and got some guy to weld it up. But then we had... Um, my father had always a big old hillman car, a big old hillman minx with a tow bear on it. But when the when the the shoreline had flood then in the the back end of the year when the boats would start coming up, again my father was always working. So, eighty nine sea trout specialist Alan Reese. Yeah, yeah. So, I I think every year like I, I've been in the game such a long time now, uh, and sea trout anglers. 
tend to be negative people, though, don't they? <laughs> ah, yeah. They are, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. There's no rain and no water. Oh, there's this and yeah, that. But um, I think it's probably more true this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last year, actually. <laughs> I I I think we're the the pragmatists of the bunch, right? <laughs> so we we you know you everybody lives in hope going fishing, but when we go to the river, we go yeah, not tonight or or uh, not now because of one reason or another. There's always an opportunity, and don't get me wrong, you, you can't catch fish unless you flies in the water. So, but there are optimum times, and there's a myriad of factors that affect that. Take for example. Um, the price of fuel. You know, I can go every single night. I'm retired now. They started off well and went back to fuel. <laughs> but, but, but you know what I mean. I it, know. It, it, so, so what we're looking for is better than average chances. And uh, with the low water, maybe the fish have been coming in on the tides and going back out. But it's hormones that drive them to run, not the river levels. So if the urge isn't there, then maybe they're not going to come in. Um, although there are a few places that back the trend, you know. Uh, Rob Redman, for example, up in North Wales, he's had several. But then again, he's fishing tidal stretches or near tidal stretches. Whereas majority of the anglers that I know... Further up. Yeah, further upstream. And if there's... Although sewing will run or sea trout will run in low water, if the urge isn't there... Maybe they won't run so far. So. Do you find that if sea trout run and the conditions are, the, the water levels are low um, and it's tidal, they, they'll come up because it's tidal, they come up to the lower stretches, lower reaches, you can see, and then they'll realise, oh, you know, th- this water is low. Do they, have, do they just sit there and wait or do they sometimes go back? Yeah, I, I think they do go back. They've tagged salmon that have gone up one river back out to sea, up another river, back to sea, and then gone up a totally different river. It's as if... Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the thing is, the physiology of a saltwater fish is different to a freshwater fish because of the, the salt content in the water. So, even when the fish come in, they generally don't come in off the tide because the the, the physiology, because of the saltiness of the water versus fresh water, they have to adapt. So they, they stay in that brackish tidal area for a, for a little time before moving upstream. Episode 90, In Search of Resident Rainbows. Oh, yes, what a good fish this is. This is better. As soon as the fly hit the water, then. It's a better fish. i got a feeling this might be a brown. It's knocking, it's, it's, it's not running, just like dogged, knocking his head. I'd be surprised if it isn't a brown. Oh, it's just a big rainbow. Definitely a good fish. It's a good decision to come over here now, because I'm looking across the far side. And no one's caught the fish over there. These fish have had so much peace and quiet over here, you know. And they're confident, they take flies with confidence here now, because they don't see... Oh, what a good fish. I haven't seen it properly yet. In fact, this reel I've got now is um, it's the new Snowbee. It's 
lovely, lovely reel. But one thing is missing, which I love, is the ratchet sound. When a fish is taken, screaming off. This is a quiet reel. I want to see this fish. You know, there's one thing worse than losing a fish, losing a fish without seeing it. Oh, 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 oh. This is a big fat rainbow. It's probably one of the better fish I've had for a long time from you. The thing is, I've got my... Oh, listen to that. You just keep on going and going. The thing is, I brought this net with me. I've got two nets. i got one, to be honest, just for still water rainbows net. McLean's. It's a lovely, you know, decent net. You can comfortably put a five-pound fish in it. And uh, I forgot to put it in the van. And all I've got now is a scoop net. So this fish isn't going to fish fit in the scoop net. Well, I'm going to have trouble anyway. But uh, let's see. Oh my god! This, I think this is a double figure fish. <laughs> to say I'm quietly excited is another thing. But this fish might be in, might be in for a while. And he's probably been fishing, feeding on this bank now for the last year without seeing any flies. And along comes Jones with his dries. that but it looks just as good as what it sounds Italian again that fish now in the ripple I can't figure out if he's taken yeah he's taking the taking the dropper taking the daddy oh my god look at the size of this I hope he's gonna stay on to get a photograph I don't think I get this fish in the net but Yes, 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 yes. <sighs> stunning fish, absolutely stunning. I'm going to stop recording, I think, for a bit and get some nice pictures of this fish. I am over the moon. Episode 88, Craig Barr and Flash Attack Flies. You've got, obviously, thousands of flies. Mm -hmm. Have you got six patterns which you think these are my go-to patterns? Yeah. If I was like fishing on the boat, it would be tequila booby, tequila fab, traffic light cormorant, crisp packet buzzer, red holographic dialback, yellow owl. Well, is... I can guarantee when this podcast go out, I hope you got them in that shop there because you have so many orders for them. That your top six, I guarantee that. <laughs> Yeah. We have plenty. We have plenty. Is it? Yeah, I mean that. That there. I mean, people quite often ask what what flies your go to flies, and you could narrow it down to half a dozen. Yeah. And I'd yeah, confidently yeah. go out in a season with those flies I mentioned. You've got all season. You've got the buzzer, the Chris Packet. That's all round fish catcher all the time long for me. I'd probably try and add an emo in there if I could. Uh, the red holographic dialback, the tequila boobies, probably the most consistent booby I've ever fished. Tequila fab for the washing line. Not so much the nastiness of the fab, but the washing line is it, brilliant for that. Yellow Rowl 
is a great all-round catcher and on the pin pie. That'll be on my cast tomorrow at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. What's your fly boss like? Because I tell you why I asked that. I know guys, they, they tie four people, you know, they, yeah. they're like professional tires. Yeah. You look in a box and it's like paint and decorators. Other people's houses are lovely and mm -hmm. they, as they leave it. I bet you've got the best fly time box going. <laughs> hmm. I have some very nice ones and have some very rough ones. Yeah. Um, what I tend to do is, uh, and well, I, I do it all the time, the wife just thinks I'm crazy. I'll have it only for big matches, man. If we've got a big match coming up, it's Rutland, Grafham, Chew, wherever it might be. Yeah. I'll make a separate box for that day. Do you? I'll go out of my stock and I'll think, right, Chew Valley, what do I always do when we're down there? This fly, that fly, this fly, that fly. And I'll just fill a box, all pretty lined up, all the sizes, all the flies I believe I need, and I'll leave the rest at home. I'll go with what I know. 96. Loch Melvin Boatman, Andreas Ferreira. Nice. It's quite unique, isn't it, uh, Melvin? Much you haven't got to keep looking for shallows and bays and points. You can just be right out in the open. That's that. That's it. And uh, a lot of men, if you if you tell them pulling out in the deeps, especially the traditional boys, they they frown at you and they don't understand how it works. But then when you when you've hit a couple of fish and you go around and do the drift again, and you hit another couple of fish, yeah, um, it uh, it works great. I mean. If you have a good boatman or you, you 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 know what you're at on the engine, you can stay on the school all day long. Do they go up I and mean, down uh, the levels? Because what I found, we were going over and say you have a couple of fish, then you go quickly back around, have a couple more. And whether or yeah. not we weren't finding them, but then rarely on the third time round, you know, we'd have fish and we'd search for another pod. Do they come up and down with the layers? What's yeah. the reason for that? Yeah. What they do is, is if you if you've caught a couple of fish and you put them in back into the water and you release them, they go into the pod, and sometimes they take the pod down deep because when I, what I reckon is some of them sort of salt after they've been hooked and released, and they just go sit down in the deep water for a, for a wee while, right. and they bring the pod with them. De depends on the the light of the day, I think as well. If it's very bright, the fish are going to stay deep all day long, yeah. but you will get them up. If there's enough surface disturbance, they'll come up. If you think there's legs on it or a bit of DRA in it, they will come up. They will come up. I've seen in in, in bright sunshine and a, a, a wee cordway ripple on it, pulling wee muddlers, size 12 muddlers through through the through the surface on a floating line. Then we black boys will come up and they'll hammer the fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about um, going on now to the Gillaroos? Um Yeah. They are all hugging the margins, I guess, and the size they feed Oh, in. yeah, they're, they're, they're tight on the stones. They're tight on the stones. Yeah. Um, on Wednesday, I was out in the Melbourne, and uh, we were down in a place called Flanagan's Bay, and we couldn't meet to get a fish. We couldn't buy a fish, even, as I would say, in Ireland. And we left it, and we went up to a place called Hills Bay, and real quiet, sheltered bay in the westerly wind. And a nice hatch of olives and mayfly coming off it. And tight on the shore... We got four nice, good-sized uh, gillaroo. And uh, the American client wanted to know how we know the gillaroo, and I showed him. It's a distinctive, the fins are damaged always from hooking in the, in the rock. Oh, and right, if yeah. you feel, feel, feel underneath the front bottom fin, you can actually feel the, the, the gizzards that they have, where they where, when you can feel the wee stones in them. They're very orange as well, and they're bright. They're more colorful. Oh, bright, bright orange and big red spots in them. I, I've, I've never had and nothing big. Have you had any decent-sized ones? 
I my 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 best special from Loch Malman is a Gilleru of four pounds nine ounces. Wow! How did that come yeah. about? Uh, Easter weekend, teaching a, a a German client how to fly cast and just messing around off uh, the shore. Off the shore and off the shore with two buzzers on it over Easter weekend, and the buzzers just swang around and uh, we had a wee tap and I just gave it a wee pull and the next thing all hell broke loose and that was him on. Wow! Did you get a photograph and, uh, of that fish? Uh, we've got a photograph of it, and we have uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, there's a video of it as well. But we were that ill prepared for the fish; we didn't even have a landing net or nothing of it. So we, we had to scoop it up and flick it onto the bank. Episode eighty, Mark Vickery of Paper Mill Trout Fishery. I bet you've got some stories, man. Have you caught some people and banged people? Oh yeah, I think that's what people don't like about me. I wear my heart on my sleeve, and if I don't like somebody, they go on us. That I've seen somebody catching once. And they were put in, uh, I said, what are, you, what are you using by there on there now? And I crept up behind and I said, what are you doing by there now? Oh, my own devices, he said. My, oh, I made some my own devices. I said, what are you got on there? And what he you done? He was making uh, balls of um, power bait and putting it in a lady's stocking, a little bit of it. And I put, putting it through the stocking onto the buzzer. Like a suspender buzzer. Yeah. But and that's, his... yeah, and that's what he was doing. So. Away, go, don't come back. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you always get, you know, there's, there's been, there's been numerous issues, numerous. You know, when you, you, you there'll always be somebody who will, who will cheat. No, I, that's I, part and parcel of it, unfortunately. Yeah, you will, won't it? Yeah, always will get it. Yeah. There yeah. was, uh, I used to work part time once in uh, for a couple of years down in Dufferin Springs when it was a trout lake. Yeah, and yeah. there was a big complex of lake, so you couldn't see from the lodge what was going on in the bottom lake. So he had monitors, in the, so I was there in the office looking at, and I could see this guy, he wasn't casting as such, you know, almost roll casting. And I thought, he's up to something. And then he caught one, yeah. I thought, I'm going to creep up, like you said, up towards him now, right? And you don't want, to, you don't want confrontation. Do you? No, you, no, you don't, do you? no. So, and this guy, he looked like a bad Vinnie Jones character, right? And I thought, right, yeah. I, got, I got to confront him. So I went up to him now, right? And all of a sudden, I appeared about 10 yards away. And he could see. Panic. He didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just carried on fishing. I walked up and I said, any good? And he said, uh, yeah, I've had one. I said, yeah, I've seen you have one. I said, uh, it's been hard last couple of weeks. Can I see what you're using? And he could tell, oh, uh, it's only just a nymph, he said. I said, yeah. let's look at it. Anyway, he lifted it up now. It's a big ball of bright fluorescent pink. Um, what's that stuff? Power bait. Power bait. Yeah. And I said, you realise you can't use this, I said. <laughs> and do you know what? I was expecting you, because you can have a bit of a confrontation here. Yeah. Do you know what? He started crying. No he way! Started crying. <laughs> Bottom lip was going. He said, I'm having a bad time. He said, I can't, I can't catch anything. And do you know what? Yes, I, I was stumped then. Plan, I really didn't know what to do. That, I was expecting a bit of aggro. Yeah. And then I said, look, I was a bit, bit soft then. I said, look, give me the tub. You give me the tub, a little jar. Yeah. And I took it, and I, I kind of felt sorry for him, because he's obviously, he's more than that, he was upset. His yeah. head was shared over something. Yeah, you get it. So but it, he fished, I said, carry on, I said, but, you know, yeah. he flies. At the end of the couple of hours then, he came up, he didn't have no more. And uh, I gave him the tub back, and he went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember a, a, similar, a similar thing. I remember I was watching father and his kids, and I, father had gone 
left him for a second or two. I went over. I said, what are you, what are you catching on the kids? Oh, magic potion, my daddy said. <laughs> oh, is it? Because I was standing down, down one end and I could see all this glitter stuff on the surface of the water flashing me. I knew straight away where it was. And I went, that's what the kid said. Oh, it's a magic potion, he said. I said, well, where is it then? And they showed it to me. Oh. And so I was over here. So I, I had him then and away he went. I haven't seen him since. But yeah, you know, I said, bloody hell, I got the kids. Why, why do it? Episode 87, Corrib Ferox. And that changed me. I think that was around about 2001, 2002. And that became the obsession for me then. I had to get a big trout. Initially, you know, I wanted a double figure fish. So, on my next trip, I kitted myself with some trolling rods and bait runners. And from then, the following like 15 years or so, it was a learning curve. And when people see big fish and they say, ah, I was caught on a troll, you know, as if to say, there's no skill or knowledge going into catching that fish. All I can say to them is, you try it. Because I tell you what, I fished at the highest level of fly fishing, internationals, and I've caught large ferox. And I tell you what, there is equal amounts of respect and skill needed in catching a ferox of 20 pounds than there is to catching anything on the fly. You've got to know the areas and the times they feed and what depth they feed, different times of year, and different wind conditions, different amounts. There's a whole array of different things which I've learned in that time. Now, as the name suggests, ferox, it's a cannibal. And even though the, the, there are different stories with... Um, Different scientists have proven the fact, apparently, that, you know, it is a different species of fish, the ferox, which I kind of think probably is. But whatever it is, if it's a brown trout, which has just turned cannibal, or it is a different strain, for me, I just love fishing for them. And for most of us, when fishing with a fly, realistically, a five-pound trout is a special fish. Anything over that is, for some, fish of a lifetime. But if a trout needs to get any bigger than that. To pack the weight on, it's not going to get any much bigger than that size when feeding on flies. So, naturally, when it gets to that size, it feeds then on fish. When it comes to the corib, it's full of roach, and that's the main diet of the ferox of the corib, is roach. Occasionally, you'll get them on perch. I have actually caught one. I caught a large trout once, which eventually come off. And that was on a perch. So it's not to say they won't take it, but I can imagine they could be pretty desperate to take a perch because it's very spiky. And I can imagine it's very hard to actually to eat, even though pike do them all the time, I guess, for the sounds of it. But no, roach is the key diet for the ferox. Now, the main areas I would fish for them are where there's deep water, close to shallow water, because when I went out there, first of all, many years ago, to the college. Episode 109, Peter Cockwell. So we've got a lovely collection there. Eh? Walk this way. You have to be just careful coming past here. She likes her stuff. Oh, this is your tying room. That's the model I had made of the grayling. Wow. That's how big that a fin. That's how big a five pound grayling is. 
And you, th th that's more or less the measurements and everything? Yeah, it's dead-ons for the measurements, yeah. I've got to make a new case and have it downstairs. It shouldn't be up here out of, out of no, sight. No, no. It used to be in the shop, you know, where lots of people saw it, obviously. Yeah, but okay. What I was just going to say, look at the mouth, Kerry. All right? Yeah. Now, the mouth or the grayling you're used to is like this. Yes. It's an overbite, isn't it? Yeah. Arctics aren't. They're the other way around. It's almost red-like. Yeah. But they're highly predatory, those things. I've caught them on mice, almost as big as the fish itself. And um, they're just highly predatory. I love that. And you think, you stupid thing, you're so beautiful, you should be taking little dry flies. Not Ooh. a fucking great lure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to speak more. We've had a most gorgeous meal while we've been chatting as well. But I think there's another podcast in time. Perhaps we'll I'll come down it again and then chat more about Diva Springs. And mm -hmm. more be small waters and I look back on the other waters which you fished. Before I actually wrap up and get my cameras here, I'm gonna get my light in as well, I guess, some of these photographs that we need to go over this. There's one question I ask everyone to finish off. But where would you wanna be to make your last cast? Ooh, there's a good one. <laughs> to make my last cast, oh my goodness. <laughs> I suppose it's going to have to be home in Cornwall, because that's, I'm Cornish and that's it. So yeah, down there I guess. But it's interesting because Sue and I have um, spoken about the end of days, because I'm getting to be an old git these days. And I said, you know, I just want to be cremated and that's the end of it. And I'd, I'd often said that I'd like my ashes scattered on my favourite water on the basis that if I, I can catch them when I'm alive, at least I can choke the little bastards when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> but she then said, well, he should, she said, well, okay, then, so I'll sprinkle your ashes on your favourite waters. So it'll be somewhere that's really sunny, like Florida, the Seychelles. <laughs> I said, that's not my favourite places. <laughs> Episode 74, Welsh Flight and Guru. Sean Thomas. And when we went to this spot then, which you took me, I thought we were going into Nam. You know, it was like <laughs> it was like expecting the guy with the banjo or the deliverance or something. Warfare. It <laughs> was, yeah. When we get to this spot which you told me about, we had to climb over two trees which had fallen down the river. Yeah, they got blown over in that storm we had, didn't we, recently? There's a bit of a wall, wasn't it? And you knew there'd be fish in this spot. Yeah. We and couldn't. we both crept over and we just both peeked over to have a look and I didn't actually see the fish but you didn't actually see it you saw through no just... I didn't see it there was too much colour in the water at the time wasn't there? but I sort of had knew in the general area where it was going to be are you Euro Nymphing here you had yeah you run Nymphing yeah um, so basically like with Euro Nymphing you just um, you have like a length of mono from your leader with your flies on and then that goes to like a section of indicator like then which I use like a two tone indicator and I thought that was your lipstick when you were getting yeah. it out of your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Just on a Thursday night, that is, eh? Sunday, Sundays. <laughs> Sundays only. <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, you're just watching for, like, sort of stops and little um, plaques on the line. But, yeah, we, we hooked that fish, and then uh, it jumped clear of the water, didn't it? Yeah. Then, Good uh, few pounds, wasn't it? Yeah, headed down river. We didn't really think of... How to land it, really. The first thing uh, was a hook it, wasn't it? Yeah, I did. Remember I said, I said, if we do hooks, I mean, we're going to get in a bit of trouble if there's any size. 
We had a battle with it then for I think it was about five or six minutes when they were trying to get underneath the trees, pass the rod through the trees. And you would cut the shreds, your hands as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, through. we had a battle through a hawthorn to get to get through. In fact, what I'll do, I'll actually put that little clip up. Yeah. On to go with this so people can see what we actually went through. And yeah. then I was gonna go down the river through this like bush and I heard the <laughs> and I thought you'd fallen in. <laughs> but because you're on the wall, you just jumped in, didn't you? Yeah. And I thought, you still got it. And yeah, I saw you put the net in. Yeah. And next thing, I just put see, your both hands on your head. Yeah. You managed to get into another snag, didn't I? A little bit lower down the, down the river. And um, I could actually see it at my feet. When I was playing it, it ran down the river, went underneath a snag. So I walked up on it and um, I could see it. I could see it still attached to my line. I tried to plunge my net, obviously, to try and get it, and it just it took off. Ah, that'd be a nice way to start the season off, wouldn't it? I'm glad you didn't catch the uh, the choice words at the end on the <laughs> video. <laughs> Episode 78, Keith McDonough. Where you actually fished these Arctic Little Lures then, in Kylemore and other venues where you fish? Do you fish off a drifting yeah. boat? Do you fish it, or do you anchor? Would you look for the areas, or how exactly would you fish? You wouldn't fish it like Loch Island, I suppose, do you? You you can fish it Loch Island, but the problem is that um, you want to get down a little bit more than you would with conventional fly, I feel, um, on the lakes. And uh, I think what works well is to, to bring the boat uh, nose down in the wind and and work along um, drop-offs. Like yeah. we find, we find those fish on shark drop-offs hanging on the the edge of them uh, on that lake. So work, working along, so you're casting out the side of the boat and then retrieving. And it, what that means is that you get the belly in the fly line. Yeah. And you know, the, you're not trying to fight to catch up with the fly, if you know what I mean when you're influenced by the the wind. But the funny thing about that lake, right, and part of it is that some of those trout are just, there's no real fishing pressure on them. No. So they're, they're, they're relatively eager. Um, but the funny thing about it is some of the really good days where we've got a few fish have been on a flat can when the small trout are up dimpling on the surface and the, the bigger guys are, are below taking them off. Um, so that's kind of in contrast to what I've experienced on the river because I often find on the river that the best days are, are the really um, rough days, you know, overcast or lashing rain or windy. Whereas... Um, those bigger guys on there, they, you know, it seemed to be that they were up taking the small trout. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were copping them up when we caught them anyway, so, you know, that was the kind of thing. Episode 99, North Wales River Specialist, Rob Redman. The last couple of weeks, I've been quite, the river was low and that, but surprising how much action we did have, to be honest. Yeah, you know, the conditions that have been, it's, we always knew that it wasn't going to be easy. We yeah. knew there was going to be a window some point during that night. And, you know, sure there was. Um, but that opportunity came by, 
you know, just knowing whether when, when there's fish in front of you and there isn't. Yeah. And that proved to be right where uh, the spot that I first uh, put you in. And uh, <laughs> it soon became clear you knew the the water because even from the start when we went to fish for the the bass yeah. in the junction pool. Yeah. You know, it was as soon as we got they've seen the few fish and he said, just wait. As soon as eggs in about twenty minutes, half hour. I've never in my life seen so many bass in a pool. Yeah. Well, it's just something that occurs on these big tides. And as soon as that light level drops, then they do come alive. And yeah. it's the same with the sea trout, you know, they feel that uh, sense of security in a way. You know, yeah. once that light level drops, then they begin to feed. And I've never seen anything like, like you said, oh, they're feeding on shrimp. What was the name of the shrimp again, you said? Uh, th- a lot of them are brine shrimp, so, you know, yeah. th- there's probably a mixture of different shrimp in there, and, you know, the small, probably bait fish as well, but yeah. the majority of what's there is brine shrimp. Because what I've, you know, I didn't realise what these shrimp look like, and I think a lot of people don't. You expect shrimp to be, literally, look like shrimp. But when, yeah. when we decided to move from there, you said, right, put your, put your light on, and yeah. look down where you're wading, yeah. and look down, and hopefully you can see it actually yeah. on the on the video I did on the phone, and they look like pin fry, don't they? Yeah. Loads of them. Yeah, right? very similar. Yeah, they, 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 clouds of them. They're almost microscopical, really. Yeah. You know that, but once the bass lock onto them, you know you're you're kind of in trouble unless that you can, like I said, get a shrimp that's going to stand out from the rest. Yeah. That he can pick out, then that's the way to go. Um, but trying to match something like that is never going to happen. And then, like, he locked up once, so he had one pull, yeah. and he just went slack, It's just one of those things. Yeah. But you were saying that really your best chance is when they stop, when they start to slow down. Yeah, so, you know, when they, you, you will notice a pattern, um, so as soon as the light fades, they'll basically, there'll be a bit of a frenzy on. So, give it half an hour to an hour let them feed and then as soon as you hear less uh, surface disturbance yeah. then that's the time to target them because what they're doing then they might have basically because you know we all have food we all get full yeah so it's the same thing for bass they might get that sense right and full now but if an opportunity comes and something like maybe a small, very small bait fish passes them, they'll have a snap at it. And that's yeah. where you can target them as well. And yeah. also with the bigger shrimps as well. So You've had them up to £10 or more as well, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, out of that section there, yeah. Jesus. Well, you've wet my appetite tonight. Because yeah. last night I didn't have any shrimp patterns on me. Well, in fact, when I was looking at my bag, which I left in the van tonight, I actually couldn't find them. But I literally I had them with me in my waistcoat last night. So... But tonight, if we don't hit the sea trout, yeah. like I said, we'll give it a try yeah. on the uh, on the back. Episode 67, Dominic Kerrigan. I had the heaviest fish, uh, just over just over four pounds, I think it was. Got that fish on the qualifying day as well, which was good. It was out. I was partnered with uh, John Somerville. I know you mentioned John in one of your other, yeah. one of the other podcasts. I was partnered with John and Noel Moore was boating, and it was there was a nice a nice wind on the lake. It was a real nice wind, and it was blowing in the car. And we went down, and 
no one is a lovely wooden boat um a, a clinker boat and it does drift it does drift like a dream there's oh, no doubt about it it, it, it drifts like boats. a dream yeah so we went in and we were, we were fishing fishing off not not deep deep water but fishing off marginally deep water in the shallows and um came into a, a, a small inlet at Cahar Bay and I put the fly in, I was pulling away and chatting and the next thing just came up on the hang and oh, this lad just came out of the water and the lovely head and tail over the bob fly. <laughs> I just took it and let him down and let him down. Like the, the thing about that water was that clear, you could see the fish going down and down at the fly and just lifted into him and oh, the, the fight took off and I was playing away at him and um, of course then John was fishing the other side of the boat. He was fishing away and fishing away, and my fish was steaming out the front of the boat here. And John was pulling away. And the next thing, I just looked with the corner of me eye, and of course, there was obviously two fish laying in there. The comrade came up and went for John's fly over, big head and tail over it, and missed it. So that that, that was the two fish were sitting in there. It must have been a pair of fish wow. that, were, that were hanging about in there. So. John fished for a little bit, didn't get it. So fair play, he quit fishing when he seen that I was in a pretty good fish. He quit fishing, Noel got on the oars. and But between the three of us, we got all done and got him directed around the rocks and into the net. And then that was, I, I won the heat that day. Um, I can't even remember what the prize was for winning the heat. So then, of course, that carries on then for the heaviest fish for the whole of the competition. That was maybe the Wednesday, was my qualifying day. The Saturday then, it blew up, blew, blew really, really hard. So the, the qualifying days then were cancelled. Or maybe it was the final was cancelled and it had to be rescheduled. So you were sort of checking every day and the sweat was on because you were the, you were the heaviest fish and you were phoning, was there anything big got today? You know, was there anything yeah. big got today? But yeah, I came, came out of that in the end. So I ended up, I think I had crystal trophy and a thousand euros plus whatever the the winning of the heat got me I, I can't euros, remember yeah. that yeah so it was I look the, the thing is it leaves you you can fish competition free for a bit then so you can you know you're yeah, yeah. you're not paying anything you're it's, it's profited at that stage which is good will your wife be listening to this podcast because then you tell her it was 250 pound <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what i told her i said ah, that's 250 pounds so she should be out in diesel <laughs> Episode 95, Colliford Reservoir and Wimbledon. I changed my cast, took the cast off, put the side bob on, and about a foot or so, maybe a bit more, of leader, 7.5 Snowby Super Carbon, and a little size 12 Black Pinnell. But it wasn't long before I saw a fish at the cover. And you could, I can see it now. This fish was just travelling up the wind, a slow little breeze, a gentle little breeze, but I could see his tail and his dorsal just hitting the surface. I just covered it in front of it and just waited. And next thing, the, the dorsal and the tail, the tail just disappeared underneath, and I thought to myself, he can't be far away then. And I, I kind of didn't expect him to take, but the sight bulb went down. I lifted, and pandemonium, all hell broke loose then, as they do, you know. And uh, first of all, he just screamed up the bank, just going the other way. And he, he ran towards me, he screamed up the bank again, and then run towards me. And after a dogged fight, 
I actually brought him in. Now, I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to land this fish? Because a lot of sticks are on the sides as well. I had to watch because, you know, uh, sunken logs and things. He, he did head for this one, um, like, uh, a branch feature. So f for not to get stuck in there, I waded out to this branch feature up to my, the bottom of my shorts just to make sure he wouldn't be, I wouldn't get stuck in there. But anyway, the only thing I had was my little scoop net. And uh, so he wasn't going to fit on the, in that. But I did manage to, in one way or the other, get his head in and lift him out and quickly get him onto the shore. And I had it. What a beautiful fish. And the... The evening summer sun was getting low now and the glistening of the scales of this beautiful common. I was over the moon then that, uh, okay, it's not a trout, but it's something which I didn't expect, never in a million years. And uh, it was a nice little bonus actually with this hot weather. I thought, I'm not going to get any sport really. But with hot weather, carp love it, don't they? So I uh, hurriedly set up my tripod, took a few pictures uh, and then released this fish then what a fish it was I estimate it was probably, probably between about 8 and 10 pound but a wild common carp you know so it's over the moon episode 102 Abercothy Estate and Golden Grove resident guide Jamie Harris how did your fishing come about though? oh it's really oh, I was grown up on the on the local council estate in Llandailo Oh, you're actually from Llandailo? Yeah, Llandailo boy all my life. My father still lives on the estate. And it was kind of, uh, you know, it was in the DNA of the estate, really. You're either a sea trout fisherman or, a, you know, that's all we done, like. Yeah. So nearly every household would have two or three boys and, you know, we'd be all fishing and the older guys then would kind of take you under your wing and stuff like that. It's a bit different now, isn't it? But, uh, you know, we'd be like, you know, we'd be fishing with grown men, like, you know, they'd be taking you night fishing when you were, like, 13 years old. It's yeah. bonkers, I mean, you can imagine that now. It's like, you know, some of my still good mates now, you know, used to take us fishing when we were youngsters. Sea trout was your, that was yeah, your thing? Yeah, a lot of it would be mostly early morning women, you know. Oh, so, was it? Yeah, you know, I used to do the paper round, I'd come back, you'd see all the guys coming home in the morning with their bin bags and stuff. You know, they'd be like, hush, uh, Cloak and dagger kind of stuff. Yeah. Off then selling the fish somewhere, local pubs. So it was um, a dream job, really, when you come up on our desk. Yeah, it was weird because as a youngster, the local town, Llandilo, there's the bridge you go over. Lord Corder then had donated, say, the first 500 yards of fishing to the kids and the old age pensioners of Llandilo and oh, the little geez, village. That's good, isn't it? So... As a few of us youngsters, we would venture down now and again and have a little cast on the colder water back in the day. Oh. So it's a bit, looking back now, it's a bit kind of that was proper, you know, you had to be like proper posh to go and fish down there back in the day, you know <laughs> what I mean? They didn't want us riff raff fishing that, but to be looking after that now is quite, Yeah. You know, sometimes look at that pool on the bridge and think, you know, a lot of memories there as a kid growing up. Yeah. Not just me, it would be, that's a shame because, you know, we still, we've maintained, you know, I, I said to Sir Edward, you know, we, we really need to keep that as a gesture. I think Llandilo run it, I think we charge him like a penny to fish it or something else. I mean, ridiculous. You know? Episode 94, an Englishman with a passion for fish and dries on Loch Corrib, Ted Werry. It, it really wants, to, 90% of the time it wants to be static anyway. 
yeah. you might slowly retrieve it on some occasions, but and it's this restraint to stop doing it that, that, that a lot of the fish would find a problem. When I fish um, dries, I normally know, I normally fish two. Would you fish two, or do you just yeah yeah? No, I fish two. I do fish two unless it's a flip carp, and then I'll 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 yeah. go on a tapered leader and a single fry. I mean, yeah. my best fish last year was seven pound two, and that was in a, a flat calm, and it was by sheer luck. Um, we was in Ballycurran Bay, down near the lighthouse, and there was a, a dimple of a rise about two foot from the bank. And uh, I didn't actually spot it first, and my pal spotted it, and he said, I think there's a fish just moved there. And um, I, I knocked the engine off, and we, we stopped, and it, and it there was just a dimple again, and on a single mayfly, and uh, I, I threw it out, and he, he just drank it, and it, it was seven pound two. Wow! But it, but if you're not if you're not looking for these things and these signs, you will go past a lot of feeding fish. I see boats come tearing past at all sorts of speeds, going from A to B, but you you can't actually see what's going in the water when you when you when you're doing that. And I I would have missed that fish if my pal hadn't, hadn't seen it. You know, yeah. I was looking the other way. Yeah. So you, you you can soon go past them, but but to be fair, most of the big fish I've picked up uh, has been in the lee of the islands. You know, when you've been cruising around looking for a fish that's that's picking stuff off near the shoreline. Yeah. Um, and, and usually, that they're a quality fish that's doing that. The rises look nothing. You would you would think it was probably a roach rising. And sometimes even when they take your fly, you know, the big fish, it's just a a small suck and it's gone. And, and if you're not watching it, even in a, in a ripple, you, you can miss them. Yeah. They've certainly they've certainly altered the ways. I mean, when I first came to Ireland, you could see them splashing at olives 40 yards, 50 yards away, probably half a dozen fish coming up asleep. Um, and the same in the mayfly. But the fish seem to change. They don't splash at the olives in, in Ballinout here at all. It's a very, very... Shallow rise, and sometimes you, you you've got beyond the ball to spot, them. Um, and and you may have to fish a, a nymph just under the surface. In a lot of cases, they sometimes won't look at the dun at all. You know, yeah. you 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 just got to try different things. They're there, yeah. and it's up to you to it's, try and try and match with what they're at. There's so many different rise forms, and I, I experienced one day oh. this year, and I was fishing put a Caran Bay, and it was one of those textbook days it was a lovely rolling wave and it was overcast and it was it was warm and there was so much fly coming off right it was a race sometimes to see who was going to get the fly first a trout or the gals the gals were coming down swooping down for them and you know what i had three distinct rise forms during that day which i had fish you had the splashy fish you know the savage is up splash and they're on yeah and then you had one of those up and over on the side. I love them. It's almost slow motion. You just see oh, the yeah. see the uh, the silhouette you can see coming over the top. And then all of a sudden and then sometimes you you look in and you're thinking, was that a fish? Was that a rise? And then your line would just go, you know. One of the most successful and consistent match angler in the country, Welshman Gareth Dixon. Your top flies, your your go to flies, what would it be? Or not necessarily Clawella game with your competition scene. I guess it's, it's I guess it's the same flies. Uh, you see, Rut, Rut, Rutland is a bit different. You're, you're using more of the fabs down there and the leggy Nemo's and stuff like that nymphs. Whereas here, it'd be more 
Cormorans, Diaws, Booby. Not very rarely use a Fabia. It's more a size 12 Booby for, me, for myself, isn't it? When it goes a bit harder. On the winds up, it's a full on size 10. But uh, you know, you're still going down that tip line, slow approach when the fish goes harder. You know, I still see it. So when fish goes harder, you don't necessarily well, change the flies, you change the speed. Yeah, or you go a little bit smaller, but I, you know, that's why the bung does so well, because it allows people to fish slow. The people yeah. that can't fish slow, they're watching that bung, and, you know, they are fishing slow, aren't they? Yeah. It's, uh... As regards your lines, I bet, between you and Russell, you probably got more lines than Glasgow <laughs> Angling. If you want to stick to the, your, your top three lines, which you had to have, Dive five sweep for pulling. That is the best line to find fish. Dive five sweep is one of the best pulling lines. You go to a new lake and they're on a pole, well, you can find them, can you? Because it's coming all the way through the layers. Um, summer fishing, when it goes hard, is a booby basher. It's got to be a booby basher because it's the fastest sinking line out there. And you know, you look at some of the leagues in the summer, you, know, you catch 30, 40 fish because you can get down to them. And it, People, it does my head in a bit, people go, oh, floating line, floating line, you know. Is catching a fish in a floating line as skillful as catching a fish 30 foot deep? I think when, when the fish go deeper, it's, it's more skill, it's more thin. It's more physical them, as well. Yeah, and getting them flies into that right zone. Yeah. And painting that picture in your head that you're in that zone of fish. Yeah. Um, and obviously for nymphing and stuff like that, the 12 foot slow tip, that is the one I use 90% of the time for slow fishing, nymphs, fabs. A 12 foot slow tip? 12 foot slow tip, yeah. Yeah, and of course you've you got, you, you got to have your dries, you've got to have your dries, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to have your float up for the dries. It was quite an eye opener actually when I was on the nets last time I was with. To see them, in, they're in the lake, yeah. more or less. Like, yeah. There's nothing to do. The amount of people you take down there and go, have oh, a look at these, and they could stay there all day watching them. Where can you see it? 15, 16 pound fish just swimming around in the lake. Yeah, it's, and in uh, that condition. Yeah. Well, it comes to the time now. I ask the same question to everyone. <laughs> and I probably think I know what the answer's going to be. Where would you want to be to make your last cast? Well, there's only one place, isn't there? Maybe sat up here, up, here, up the fluid, with Dice M and the booby. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was going to be some romance no, there. No, you know, there's been romance in the fluid, but not like that. Yeah. Well, many thanks, Gar. Oh, thank you. Next time when it's a bit warmer, we'll have another day. We'll have a day out together. Yeah, we'll have a day of fishing, yeah, but uh, we'll wait for the heaters to come on. And, uh... Episode 97, television presenter and author Will Millard in the same way that I'd been doing it for a week and then I basically had like the pub chuck rod down the edge that I set up you know with an hour of light to go under a big fat float you know the way I used to catch them when I was 9, 10, 11, 12 growing up in the fens back home you know big sort of like pike drain fishing you know which I used to do when I was a kid and I had a dead bait roach and I just flung it down the corner you know no more than a foot off the bank and I remember Tom, the cameraman, had cracked some joke. No one's doing any work by this point, Kerry, obviously. It hadn't been working. It was getting late in the afternoon, if I remember, was really it? Really late. Like, the, the, the sun had set. It was really, you know, perfect predator time. You know, this is the time. But it didn't feel right. Like, the, it, was, it was one of those times where you, where you didn't really think it was going to happen, you know? Yeah. And Tom had cracked a joke. Me and Jess were laughing. And you know what? It, 
and 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 this was the last day. And we probably would have invested a bit more time into it, but we didn't have that much more time. We'd run out of money. You know, we were doing it without being paid by that point. And something made me look down, you know, at the float. And I looked at the float and it moved almost imperceptibly, you know, like a shudder, a tremble, you know. But absolutely, exactly. It's the click on the reel, right? (laughs) And I had this weird thought where I'm like, Right now, in this moment, in our team, I'm the only person that knows a little bit like that moment in Jaws before he tells the rest of the crew and he's clipping in, you know. Mm. So I've hooked into this fish and as soon as it's hooked, it's chugged for a while, you know, dead weight, and then it's just gone. And it's gone and actually quite a powerful, quite a fast run. And as it's gone, I felt the angle of the line grind up against something. And the angle of the line for my rod tips going acutely down into the water by the marginal edge... And then I can feel the line starting to run up as it's graying up against oh. this obstacle, this big snag under the water. And obviously at that point, I'm like, I'm going to lose the fish. I'm going to lose the fish. I'm going to lose the fish. The fish. You know, not a fish. The fish. Yeah. That's the point the cameras start rolling is when you see this fish and you can see kind of like Tom scrabbling to get the focus. And as he pull focuses, and he left it in, you can see it go blurry. And as he pull focuses onto the fish, you see the fish explode in the middle of the lake. Just literally leaping out the water. That's the first time you've seen it. Then. That's the first time you see it. And then you know it's it. It's, it's obvious what it is. Yeah. But my line is going straight down under this snag. Oh. So the fish is tethered, right? I'm going to lose this fish. I'm like, I have got to cut down the angle between my rod tip, that snag, and that fish that's on the surface. Yeah. The rod's 12 foot long. I'm fishing into about 12 foot of depth. The snag's at the bottom of the pond, and the fish is on the surface. That's not a good position to be in, Kerry. No, no, no. So I remember just thinking, <laughs> right, I'm going in the lake. Instant decision. I was like, I've got to get this, this, this line off the snag. So I took my wellies off and leapt into the margins of this, of this, remember, of this yeah. pond. And it wasn't until afterwards, you know, when people had watched it and people got in touch on social media, they're like, why'd you take your boots off? And I'm like, I don't know. That was really stupid. Like, why did I take my wellies off and then leap into this lake where there was, you know, loads of snags, you know, bikes, bit of metal working, like, goodness feet. Exactly. But I jumped in and I got there. I, I plunged the rod under the water and I felt the line ping off this snag. I feel like it might have been something like long and fairly uniform, like a scaffolding pole or something, and it just pinged over the edge. And then I was in full connection with the fish. And it was actually quite a short fight. And I remember just, like, easing it back towards me, and I had the net out, and the head came up, and it went over the spreader block, and I just lifted it, and that was it. She was in. And I, I brought her up onto the bank, and it opened its mouth, and my hook fell out. And oh. I had two two treble hooks on. The first treble wasn't in its mouth at all. In the second treble, there was one point in the fish and it was bent back almost flat and it fell out. And I was like, how lucky was I? Episode 84, A Corrie Bailand Lunch with Colin Fallen. So he'd hired me for two weeks in May during the Mayfly. He'd stay in a house on uh, the shore in Uxerard there with his family and some of his business partners they'd take over the whole house I gillied them one day they'd never really caught any fish dapping on the lake and it was very very windy and he said to me uh, so you're my new gilly he says uh, we've been coming here now for three or four years and we've, I think we've only caught about three or four trout and we come for a couple of weeks at a time 
was a big enough old wave now. I said to him, I says, do you know, if you want fish today now, I says, uh, we'll troll flies for a few hours. And he says, jeez, uh, that'd be brilliant. So they got, they got three, four, five trout. I can't remember what it was. And it was their best day ever. And they came in and then he said to me, right, he says, you're hired. He says, what's your rate? And I told him my rate. And he says, right, I'll give you such and such, which was over my rate. And he says, you just arrive here on the shore at the guest house in your boat every morning at 10 o'clock. And if my son wants to go fishing, this fellow had plenty of money now. He says, uh, if, if my son wants to go fishing, we'll go fishing. And if he doesn't, you go fishing by yourself or you go home. You'll still get your, uh, your daily rate. And I went, gee, that's, 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 that's lovely. So about four or five days into this uh, fishing trip of his, it was the semi-final of the Champions League. Chelsea were playing Barcelona. And I like the soccer. I wouldn't be a, a Chelsea fan now. I'd be a Norwich fan, uh, sadly. But uh, They've gone down this year, haven't they? That, that, Again. Thank, thank you. Yeah, yeah, they're up and down like a, like a horse. Yo, yo. So anyway, he says to me, do you want to go and watch the match this evening? He says, we're Chelsea fans. And I says, jeez, uh, I'd love that, I says. And I thought he was talking about going into a pub in Uchtererd to watch it. So I had resigned myself to uh, booking a B&B or a hotel in Uchtererd for the night. And then he gets out the phone and he rings his pilot, Andrew. And he says, Andrew, where's the big bird? And Andrew replies, it's in that loan. She was thinking about his wife then, were you? I hadn't a clue what he was on about. <laughs> like, I'm there standing in Wellington's. Do you know what I mean? And he says, uh, I can hear Andrew saying, uh, grand. And then Patrick says to him, well, myself and Mr. Folan are going to Stanford Bridge. Uh, fuel it up and make sure there's plenty of drink on board. And then Andrew says, uh, tell, tell Colin, there's, or tell Mr. Folan, there's champagne and there's gin and tonics on board. And if he'd like anything else, I can run down to the supermarket or whatever. And I says, no, I says, we'll have, the, uh, we'll have the champagne going over and we'll have the gin and tonics on the way back, I says. So uh, it, it was absolutely remarkable. Like, we, we landed in the, the helipad in, in Stamford Bridge and Roman Abramovich was there at the, like a, a kiosk and uh, Patrick's helicopter is a, a real high-end Sikorsky, an eight-seater. And he landed it right beside Roman Abramovich's Sikorsky. <laughs> and then he looked at me and he smirked and he says, he's very jealous of me because I have the newer model. He said, so uh, that was funny. The game was boring. It was nil all. But uh, geez, it was quite uh, amazing. And then, you only expected it to be in the boat at the end. Yeah, and then, then about two days later, uh, we came in off the lake and the small helicopter was on the shore outside the guest house. You couldn't land the big one there, you see. Uh, it's, it's, it's not feasible. The small helicopter was there and he says, he says, Colin, he says, we're not going fishing today, but you're the only person never to ask me for a spin in the helicopter. Everyone else asked me. So he says, uh, Andrew will bring you wherever you want to go today, but you've only about a, an hour, an hour and a half flying max uh, because we, we, we won't have enough juice to get back. And I says, fine. He says, where would you like to go? And I says, I'd love to see La Carib from the air. 
and maybe Loch Mask, if, if that's okay. But uh, I'd love to see the shallows and the islands mm. of the Carib. And I remember it was an awful uh, windy and rainy day. Uh, absolutely terrible during the Mayfly. And so we're flying around the lake and like I didn't realise when you, when you take off in them small helicopters, the tail comes up first, you see. So you're kind of facing down on the ground and you're, you're, you're going up into orbit, but you're looking down, you see. And, and as well as that, there's no wipers on it. Do you know what I mean? So when the rain is coming in on the windscreen, you know, I was kind of looking, I was looking around, for, I was going to say, well, you turn on the feckin' wipers there, for God's sake. You know, you can hardly see out, like, you know. But to make a long story short, anyway, uh, amazing to see the rocks and uh, they look like grains of sand from, from the air, to be honest with you, over the Carib. Uh, and I wanted to see Ashford Castle, the estate, because there's so many kind of private little you know, uh, <laughs> just little houses and estates within an estate. And I wanted to see that. And I said to Andrew, I says, just fly around Ashford Castle there and the estates and the grounds. I, I want to see it from the air. So basically what had happened then was four or five of the staff had came out to the helipad, you know, yeah. dressed up in their, their suits, like, you know, waiting to take your, your baggage. They thought we were guests coming in to stay in Ashford Castle, like, you know, the most expensive hotel in Ireland. And I'm, I'm there in my Wellingtons, and I says to Andrew, do you know what you do now for the hell of it? Land on the helipad. And he goes, what? I says, land on the helipad there. The staff will come over. I'll take a look around, turn my nose up at it in my Wellingtons, get back into the helicopter and instruct you to, t- to take off again. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so that was fun. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did putting it together. And as it's Christmas, I have prizes for my patrons. From guests who have supported the podcast from the start and have kindly donated the prizes. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank them. Irish professional tyre, Jimmy Tarrow. Sam Funning from Nathan Dillis Angling Association. Wynne Jones for his leather work. Peter Cockwell. And Craig Barr from Flash Attack Flies. So if you're not already a patron and want to enter for the chance of winning the prizes and get access to over 100 episodes plus exclusive content, sign up by clicking patreon.com forward slash Jones or visit my website castingmccurryjones.com Well, have a great Christmas and as always, don't strike too soon. <laughs>